everybody. Welcome to Shatter the Glass. I'm your host, Zane Tomich. I apologize if my voice is a little bit hoarse today. I was just finishing some singing up, and there's a lot of exciting things happening with my music career right now. I'm working on a lot of different material, a lot of original material, and I do plan to release on Apple and Spotify somewhere down the road. Um, I'm not quite sure when my very first single is going to come about, but it is coming. It's in the pipeline, so I would stay tuned for that. <laughs> Jeez, I sound really rough right now. Um, I was singing for my diaphragm, though. Don't uh, anybody who's really hardcore music, technically. Um, I just was singing a lot of different takes, and and doesn't matter how proper you sing, you can still you know, wear out your voice a little bit. And uh, a couple times there, it did get up to my throat, but I have been learning how to sing for my diaphragm a lot more, and it makes a huge difference. It really projects the air from your stomach, and you just sound a lot better. You got much better projection, and taking vocal lessons is probably one of the best decisions I ever made. So any aspiring musicians out there, it's never too late or too early to learn something new. And even if you're self-taught like I am, there's always something new that you can learn that forwards your talents and skills. And I just think it's a really valuable investment to invest in knowledge. Because after all, nobody knows everything, and there is never a peak to reach. You can always get better, no matter what facet of life that is. But let's turn our attention to the topic of today, our first topic I just wanted to touch up a little bit on the NHL playoffs. It's a recurring event right now. We're getting close to the Stanley Cup final. We got the final four teams matching up here. Tampa Bay, Vegas, Montreal, and of course, the New York Islanders. And all of you other fans listening, do not fear. I've always and still will be, no matter what, till the day I die, bleed blue and orange. Well, I guess navy blue and orange. Hopefully that changes next year with the New Jerseys. But um, yeah, I'm an Oilers fan through and through. But when your team is out of the playoffs, there's another team that you kind of pay more attention to just to keep things interesting. I'll be honest with you, I haven't been watching a whole lot of hockey, but if I am turning on my TV to watch a little bit of hockey, I'm watching the New York Islanders. And I know both New York and Edmonton were tremendous rivals during the 1980s. Both teams were essentially dynasties. You know, the Islanders had Mike Bossy, Brian Trottier, Dennis Potvin. Go down the list. They had a top-to-bottom Al Arbor, one of the greatest coaches of all time. You go up and down that list, they were a true dynasty, and they won several cups because of it. And then you got the Oilers, of course, for obvious reasons, Wayne Gretzky... Glenn Anderson, Mark Messier. The one thing that I want to bring up about these two clubs is how similar their colors are. The Oilers having their royal blue and orange jerseys in comparison to the Islanders jerseys of today, which is also orange and blue. Both teams were founded in 1972. The Islanders were in the NHL at that time. The Oilers were in the WHA. Who got the color idea first? I want to know. And who copied off each other? Because those those two jerseys are just all too similar when you look at the comparisons over time. I know both clubs have really changed their jerseys over the course of their history. 
But when you look at the Oilers retro jerseys in comparison to the Islanders current jerseys now, there's a lot of parallels. Not that it matters, of course. Like they're they're still differentiated enough to be unique in their own right. But it's just something that you kind of notice from time to time when you compare the two jerseys. And since they were both teams that were founded in 1972, you just got to wonder, like, were they thinking maybe the colors were different or the same? Or I don't know. The variations were kind of different back then, too. It wasn't exactly like you see today, essentially, but at least for the Oilers anyways. But just paying attention to the New York Islanders here. What a team. I admire the New York Islanders. Everything about them, their their historic arena, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, which only packs like 13,000 fans in the building now because of the renovations that they had. So they really downgraded in size for those renovations. And they're not staying there long term, obviously. Their new arena in Belmont Park is being developed today as we speak. So it just depends on when that's going to be ready. But... Everything about them, their fans, they are hardcore fans. You go inside that building, it is a ruckus, and it's intense. Islanders fans are intense and passionate. And just the New York Islanders themselves, they're a well-ran organization from top to bottom. They got the legendary yet terrifying Lou Lamorello as their GM, and he runs a tight ship. He knows how to find talent. He knows how to draft talent and he has really seen a lot of success not just with the new york islanders but also with the new jersey devils in the past as well and we look at their coach barry trotz another all-time great in the coaching department he is without a doubt an amazing system-based x's and o's type of coach he's as old school as it gets And the best part about the New York Islanders is they are not a flashy team by any means. They don't have two of the top five players in the league like the Edmonton Oilers do. They got one superstar for sure in Matt Barzell. And then they just got a boatload of depth behind him. They got Jordan Eberle, whom I miss dearly, and I wish he was an Oiler today. They got the incredibly underrated defensive D-man in Adam Pellick who's had a hell of a season with the Islanders. He's just been a rock-solid force on that back end. Very underratedly so. They got a good puck mover back there, Nick Letty, and Ryan Pulak, who's got a howitzer of a slap shot. And the young and talented two-way defenseman in Noah Dobson, who the Islanders, interestingly, took two spots after Evan Bouchard at number 12 in the 2018 draft. And I I paid close attention to the 2018 draft, and I was absolutely pumped when the Oilers drafted Evan Bouchard at number 10. He was my first choice there for sure, but if the Oilers weren't going to take Bouchard, I think Noah Dobson would have been my second pick at, at number 10 there. But instead, he goes number 12 to the Islanders, and it was meant to be. Here he is now, flourishing in the playoffs. C'est la vie. And of course, the Islanders have stellar goaltending in Semyon Varlamov, who played 36 games for the club this year and had a 9.29 save percentage. And of course, they have their goalie of the future backing him up, 25-year-old Ilya Sorokin, 
very talented young goaltender who they're kind of prodding along and prepping along, and he looks like the real deal too. He played 22 games this year, and he had a 918 save percentage. So there's something really stable between the pipes for the Islanders at all times. And then the Islanders have centerman Brock Nelson. He signed a six-year deal with the club not too long ago, which pays him annually about $6 million per year. And I know some fans might have thought that that was an overpayment, but as far as this playoff goes and what he's done since, he's definitely proving to be worth every penny. He's almost like a Ryan Nugent Hopkins for that team, just really underrated, who plays a responsible game, doesn't put up like godly numbers offensively, but he is an offensive player as well. And, you know, he just plays so well in all situations. He's very talented. And you can see him really taking the reins with this team during playoffs. And it's good to see a guy like Brock Nelson do well. And in fact, I, I was hoping at one point the Oilers could have had a chance to get him. He fits nicely as a top six centerman for the Islanders, but I think he would have been uh, an absolute ace of a third line center behind Dreisaitl and McDavid. And of course, the Islanders have face-off wizard John Gabriel Pajot the former Ottawa Senator. Anyways, we, we can go completely down the list if you want to, but you get the point. The Islanders are a well-built team, but it's not just the well-built foundation that they have in place there. It's the fact that everybody is buying into the system. That's what good coaching does for you. That's what cohesion on a team does. You don't have to have all the world-class skill. You don't have to stack your top two lines and overpay your top three forwards. No offense to the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they kind of played her wrong. I'm not saying the players that they paid aren't worth the money, but it's it's it really handcuffs you when you just f say, here, take that money. Uh, we just want you here. Just take as much as you want. And that really tightens you down for any available cap room that you can actually play with and you can see Toronto's kind of suffering the consequences of that I'm not saying I wouldn't have liked to have like someone like Marner or Matthews or Nylander on my team I'd take those guys any day of the week I'm just saying those types of moves of just giving them those massive paydays at long-term value right off the bat and not weighing the long-term effects financially you could have on your team that can put you in a tight corner. But the Islanders are a team that budgets well. They spend where necessary. They bring the right guys in. You know, you got veteran players Andy Green and Travis Zajac on your third pairings and, and third and fourth lines. Those are two really experienced guys. You know? Those are the type of moves where... You see two players like that who are older and kind of at the end of their rope, but you find that value. Obviously, Lamorello is very familiar with Andy Green and Zajac from their New Jersey Devil days, but that's how you can have a good eye for talent sometimes. You know, you see value where nobody else does, no matter how old it is. And I just really admire that about the Islanders. They find their value and they deploy it properly. 
But then, of course, finding the right coach to inspire and motivate those players to come together. As you see with the Islanders, they grind and they chip away at it. They got talented finishers on that team, like Anders Lee, their captain. Unfortunately, he's been injured all year, but I think it'd, he'd make a huge difference if he was back right now. And of course, they got Matt Barzell, Anthony Beauvillier, Brock Nelson, Jordan Eberle. You know, this team is definitely built to potentially go all the way this year. And you saw that last year when they made it to the conference finals. I just don't think the Islanders are a joke anymore. There was a time when they were a joke, for sure. You go back to the Mike Milbury, Alexi Yashin days. There's just, uh, there, every, every team has a time where they're not taken that seriously because of some of the questionable moves they make and the amount of success they had over a period of time. The Oilers went through it too, and they're finally out of it. And I just think right now it's... It could be the Oilers and Islanders' time again. Right now, it's the Islanders' time. And I think the Oilers could take a page out of their book next year, see how they can fill their holes, plug in areas that they need to insulate. I think Tippett's our guy. I know some people question him right now, but I think right now, they, they got to stick with Dave Tippett. He's absolutely the right guy for this team. But it'll be interesting to see. And I'm pulling for the Islanders. But anyways, let's shift gears into our weekly philosophy. Now, not too long ago, I completed a three-month internship at a marketing agency. And when I started there, I was excited. And throughout my entire time there, I really enjoyed it. I got to know some nice people. I got to be around creative people who also believed in me as I believed in them. It was just a really cohesive, exciting, and welcoming learning experience. I was basically living the dream. I was doing writing basically almost every day for, for clients that we had, whether it was for social media or written content, any type of digital content. And I was kind of really settling well into my little niche there. Things were going very well, and I was having good dialogue with my bosses, and it sounded like eventually I was going to be hired at the end of this internship. Then we factor in, of course, the economy and how things have been going this last year and a bit. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that, hey, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, in a bad economy everybody's going to be affected in some way, some more than others, some less than others. And I already experienced that being laid off in September from my oil field job. But then when you shift to a completely different market or realm of work, you're still going to be affected by that in some way. Everything comes around full circle, no matter where you go. And you just have to deal with it and understand that things will change. And understandably, what what I thought at first was going to happen ended up not happening in the end. So I didn't end up getting a job there. But I don't look at it like I didn't get a job. I look at it like, okay, I have been working. I wasn't getting paid to do so, but I was definitely getting paid in a boatload of knowledge that's going to serve me much well to make more money down the road here 
with with the acquired knowledge you bring. I know a couple years ago I had this mindset even when I was still in university. I thought, oh, I don't want to work for the man. I'm just going to go my own way. I'm going to work from home. I'm going to start my own thing, do this, do that. Just go completely my own way. And this was during a time too when I didn't have a ton of experience in areas under my belt. But as time went on and I just kept saying yes to some of these random opportunities and just kind of looking through what's available and just jumping on any type of experience either within my realm of of study or just like a certain volunteer thing like the firefighters for example i just learned that it opens doors it paves the way even if it's not something you're going to stay in it's a skill that you add to your cupboard of knowledge and i just feel like that gives you more urgency it gives you more maturity and more confidence to actually fulfill that desire to go off on your own eventually anybody who thinks they can do it on their own i don't doubt you there are people who can do that it's possible but for someone like me for example who who knows what they want but doesn't necessarily know how to get there sometimes that's when you really need to not be afraid to say yes to a bunch of opportunities because that is kind of what your path is it's not going to be a straight shot to your goal you got to go around all these different tree trails you got to go all the way around these boulders in the way you just need to to embrace everything that comes through your path and you need to accept the fact that things just will not work out all the time exactly 100% how you make it and better yet they might work out even better than you imagined so here I am I thought my destiny was to get that job at the marketing agency that didn't pan out but since that happened I've secured two jobs had an offer for a third one and that's just my point here you, you work hard, you put the time in, and it doesn't matter what the result is because something else will always come about. It, it could, you could, you could either get that job that you want or something else just, just finds its way to you. So long as you keep an open, positive mindset and understand that this isn't the end of the road. This is just another path. This is another step in my development because I'm a firm believer in in how energy works in this world positive and negative you got to really feed off the positive the positive energy negative energy can really put you down and I think we're going to talk about this more with Noel and Timberlane on our next episode with true you yoga but yeah never say no to an opportunity and if your plan doesn't work out how it's supposed to just do not stress about it. You're okay to be disappointed about it. You're human. That's just how we feel sometimes when you've poured a lot of emotion and effort and focus into one thing that you clearly envisioned was going to totally happen for you at the end for it to just not happen. And nothing personal either. Sometimes it is personal. In my case, it wasn't, of course. But 
sometimes circumstances are just unfortunate and you deal with it because you are a capable person. You can handle it. There's never a time clock for success. You're successful the moment you wake up in the morning to the time that you go to bed at night. Remember that. Always remember that. There's something good around every corner and you just got to find it. It's And it's going to find you too. Hide and seek is just a game between you and that opportunity. The opportunity is trying to find you and you're trying to find that opportunity. And don't burn bridges ever. Never burn bridges. No matter how terrible a situation becomes or how ugly something gets in the very end, or if you part on good terms, whatever. Never burn your bridges. Always be that stand-up guy or gal, and really walk away with nothing but a humble, grateful, positive attitude. Because that is a huge impression to be made. Not only on the people that you leave, but also yourself, because you're going to attract something good. The way you react is everything. And that 100% applies to today as well. I think we're really quick to react negatively to each other just because the population is so divided right now. And I think one thing that we can really find some common ground with hopefully in the future is that it's okay to disagree but do so in a way where you're humble about it you know you don't you don't throw back negative negative energy if somebody offers it to you you don't accept it somebody can dish it your way but you deflect it and you give positive energy back because that could influence them to change that negative We need more positive energy in this world right now, 100%. And I just encourage you, just make sure if, you, if you're going to react online or wherever you are, just do so in a humble manner from a position of positivity. Because that has a domino effect throughout the whole world. We all feel it, believe it or not. We're all connected in some way, shape, or form. I like to think, anyways. Good karma. But anyways, we know what it's time for now, don't we? Some History 101 with Zayner. And I promised this to you on our last solo episode, that I would be talking about the Leduc Number 1 oil discovery of 1947. Today we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of it, because I think it's an incredible piece of Alberta history, and Leduc history. So, as a bit of a refresher here, the Leduc number one oil well discovered an entire new generation of oil. And this is a rather significant event, because it completely altered the economy. It changed everything for this area of northern Alberta. And not only from a local standpoint, but from a provincial standpoint as well. The primary industry, farming, at the time, 
was surpassed by oil and gas, becoming the new primary industry of this area. And of course, as a result of this oil boom, Alberta became one of the most richest provinces in the entire country of Canada. And what's really fascinating about this too is, since that discovery in 1947, it took literally within a decade for Alberta to become self-sufficient after the oil discovery. To me, that's just a slam dunk of awesomeness to go back and look at our heritage and see all the blue-collared people and all these amazing, hard-working companies lay the groundworks for our province to become as prosperous as it was for so many years. You wonder why it was so easy for so long. Somebody had to lay the groundwork. Somebody had to find the oil. Obviously, times are incredibly different now. But we can't forget our history. Especially something as exciting as that. That happened in my own backyard, no less. The Leduc number one oil discovery was what sparked our status as major exporters of oil. That put us on the map, essentially, in Alberta. I never knew that. And there's actually more um, booms like this, more historic oil derricks that drilled for oil and found these giant splurges. And in light of all these fascinating facts that we're uncovering about history here, I'd like to dig deeper into future episodes about other past booms. So stay tuned for that. This won't be the last you hear of Alberta's oil history and the history of it. But there's so much that goes into the oil industry. You don't just drill and oil's there. You have to find the oil. And that's exactly what happened in this situation with Leduc number one. Leading up to the discovery in 1947, it, it, it didn't just happen the first day they started drilling here. This, this was a carefully planned, um, multiple tries sort of deal. There were multiple exploratory failures throughout the province with oil being drilled for. In fact, as I'm reading here, Imperial Oil, a very prominent oil company for many years, they were spending millions of dollars, and it says that they drilled 133 dry holes in the previous years, and only minor discoveries were made. So nothing of great significance that could actually spark a boom. And when Leduc number one oil derrick was built, this is really interesting. The oil was actually discovered trapped in all these rocks down below the surface in what is called the Nisku Formation. And that's what really sparked all these booming oil discoveries across the prairies. I think another interesting thing that we all tend to forget sometimes is the ground we walk on and what's beneath that. We know there's all kinds of things below us, whether it's 
fossils or bedrock or soil. But digging deeper, it's a whole new world. Perhaps even some things we haven't discovered yet. There's things and there's species in the ocean we have yet to discover. And then when you think of drilling into the ground and all the lost things that could be in there, different types of rock, you name it, fossil fuels, all kinds of things. It's a really crazy vast world down there. And it's definitely not as simple as just drilling a hole and voila, you got the oil. Especially back in those days when they probably didn't have the technology to, or the testing capabilities to actually find that oil efficiently. This was a trial by error situation. Really, it was like a pioneer phase, really. Sounds to me like a pioneering phase of oil. And with Leduc number one striking oil in 1947, it then went on to produce 317 barrels of oil and 323 million cubic feet of natural gas before it was decommissioned in 1974. And during that time, of course, it was part of the Leduc Woodbend oil field, and it produced over 300 million barrels of oil in total. So they absolutely struck black gold there. And it's amazing too when you look at how money talks. Well, I think economies talk too. You see that a really good booming economy has a ripple effect. People go where the money is. They go where the work is. And as we read here with some statistics, Alberta's two major cities saw populations double within a few years. So we're talking Calgary-Edmonton area. Calgary grew to become a major financial center, while Edmonton grew to become a major petroleum center since the number one oil discovery. And you can lump Leduc into that category too, because at that point, they were a farming community, and they had fewer than 900 residents in 1947. And our growth changed exponentially over those decades after that. We grew to become a city eventually. So you see how economy can really affect things, either for better or for worse. We're definitely seeing the uglier side of things these days, unfortunately. History is important. It shows a blueprint of where we started and where we are and how things affect other things during that process. I'm a firm advocate for keeping Earth clean and making it sustainable. And honestly, I, I do believe that clean, renewable energy should be the focus of the future. No question. But it all has to balance itself out. It all has to make sense for not just the future generations, but the current generations that are still living and breathing today that still need to put food on the table. We can't forget our roots, and I'm proud of our rich oil history of Alberta. It's paid the bills. It's got us to many great heights. 
It's powered our furnaces. It's kept us warm as hell during those god-awful minus 30 winters. We have to show gratitude for that past. And the fact that it still technically is a reality in present. We can't just jump ship on that when there's no clear alternative yet. Again, I support sustainability and clean energy. But you can't crap on the oil industry. I don't like when people do that. Especially if they do that and they still have their furnaces running in the winter. I think that's just weird. You gotta practice what you preach. But anyways, that is the story of the Leduc number one oil well and the gigantic oil boom of 1947 in nearby Leduc. I hope you enjoyed that story, folks. Like I said, there is a ton of history to go over and even some more oil rigs to talk about, but all in due time. I really appreciate you tuning in today, folks, to Shatter the Glass. I'm your host, Zane Tomich. You have yourselves a good night. We'll see you next time.